Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Three Count. I'm your host, Matthew Klein. And with me, as always, my co-pilots, the wind beneath my wings, um, the absolute best advocates a man ever had, Mr. John Petrie. John, welcome back. We made it to another episode. How are you, my dear, dear Every time I make a promise to be a nice person, you show me another wrestling match, and that all goes to shit. I am so excited (laughs) for this one today, John. This is going to be uh, an absolute... This is regarded as one of the classic matches in the history of American wrestling. I can't wait to dive into it and why you absolutely loathe it with every fiber of your black heart. But that's okay, because today I think we can get your heart to go three sizes smaller if there ever was an opportunity. So I'm looking forward to it. And with us today, we actually, uh, we are going to invoke the three the free bird rule here. We have, uh, I'm going to call Kelly P.S. Hayes himself. No, Mr. Kelly Johnston. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Welcome Hi. to the three count. Thank you very much, Matthew. John, it's a pleasure to be here. This was a uh, this was an interesting little little uh, spin on the canvas. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a time capsule we've got today. That, so, yeah. So I'm just curious, Kel. So we are basically a journey of someone who is a massive what they call Mark, like myself, and someone who just seems hell bent to loathe the art form in john um so but we take a little bit of a journey and we go over sort of some matches we can talk about why john really doesn't like anything about pro wrestling as we go along today we're going to be visiting the 80s but i want to know what was your background did you ever watch pro wrestling as a kid was it ever around in your social circle did you remember you know, the, the rock and wrestling connection of the 80s, the attitude yeah. era of the 90s. What was your sort of exposure I and mean, knowledge of it? I mean, my first, like, my uh, uh, wrestling has been on the periphery uh, of my sort of pop culture consciousness since I have been a kid, Matthew, like, without mm-hmm. question. Um, but in terms of, uh, in, in terms of, you know, my own involvement in it. I remember being as young as elementary school, which predates your existence by a good decade or more, Matthew. Um, and probably true wrestling at that time in the seventies, at least in my little part of the world in North Carolina, um, it was Saturday afternoons. It it would come from, it would be broadcast locally from like Raleigh. Um, and no shit. Sure. Greensboro too. Yeah, Greens, Greensboro, Winston Salem, and Raleigh were like the three places, yep. and and they weren't arenas of any big size. Like like you could see in the television that it was like the equivalent of the the rec center that had been set. Like they had set up a ring, and there was like maybe mm-hmm. four rows of chairs. Kind of, like that's it. Like that's really about as big as the circuit got. And I remember. I think I told you this. I remember being, um, I remember being in elementary school, probably around fourth or fifth grade, and there was a wrestling magazine that somebody had gotten, and it had a picture of 
and I want to say it was, um, I want to say it was uh, um, Nature Boy Ric Flair because because he had sure. long, very like almost white blonde hair. May, may I ask what year around uh, around what year? Give me give me a ball. That, that'd be like seventy six, seventy seven, right around there. Yeah, that was that was Ric Flair debuted in nineteen seventy five. Um, he actually started as a guy called Ramblin' Ricky Rhodes because um, he wanted to be Dusty Rhodes' little brother. Um, he was trained originally in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but he lived in Charlotte um, after he was sold on the black market to his parents um, as a baby. That's a true story. Um, wow. So, yeah, that, that actually wow. checks. That would have been Ric Flair around like so, the, the, mid, the, the late mid-70s is where he was really sort of coming into his own. What I remember is that he had a chair, like a uh-huh. folding chair, that had a dent in it. Like clearly, it had sure. it had been used to hit like a post or presumably somebody over the head. And he had he had a cut on his. It must have been his forehead. But what it looked like is he just was literally covered. His face was covered in blood. It was just red, yeah. straight down. And it was it was a it was a glossy picture in this sure. wrestling magazine. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like three quarters of a page. And I remember. We spent about a week in school debating whether or not it, like wrestling was real based off this photo that very clearly he had been injured in some way and there was like whatever. But like even then we debated the 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 realism of it. And then the next the next thing I actually am aware of when it comes to wrestling was then all of a sudden the um the heyday in the early eighties of um I, I associate it with the Goonies because of the crossover sure. video where yep, all of a sudden absolutely. you had these these larger-than-life characters that were battling. It was very clearly good versus evil. Like, you know, they uh, they had Sergeant Slaughter crossed over and became a character on G.I. Joe. I mean, He like, did. He was the yeah. only, up to that point, he was the only living person, living spokesperson of G.I. Joe. Um, and actually his deal with GI Joe got him fired from the world wrestling federation in 1985 ahead of the very first WrestleMania, believe it or not. Um, because he didn't want to share the marketing, um, and everything with WWF who were going to be promoting him. Um, again, lots of it. Well, we, we are in, in honor of your time period of when you were most familiar with it. I've chosen a match for us to watch today at an event that is considered the peak of wrestling of that era. So okay. today we are going to be watching a match from WrestleMania three, which took place on uh, March 29th, 1987 at the Pontiac Silverdome, where at the time it was a world indoor attendance record of over 93,172 people attended this event. They beat out the Rolling Stones. They beat out the Pope. This was truly um, the WWF at its absolute apex um, was this event. And the match we will be watching, dear listeners, is called the uh, Intercontinental Championship, which is sort of the number two title if you will, in the WWF at the time, there's the world heavyweight championship, and then there's the intercontinental championship, and then you have the tag team championship. And that was it back then. Nowadays, there are like 30 belts in every company. Um, And you are going to be watching a match versus the macho man, Randy Savage, 
um, of Slim Jim fame in the 90s when he and, was a national spokesman. And, and the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. Yes, he was, he was Bonesaw in yes. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Three minutes of playtime. <sighs> An often imitated voice as well. Yes. Just one of a kind. Um, and so he is the champion going up against the challenger, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, whose real name, Richard Blood, um, why they wow. didn't make why they didn't yeah. use that <laughs> as a pro wrestling name. With, that's a great wrestling name. Like, tremendous yeah. there, there is a story actually about why it happened, but to this day they should have changed his name to Richard Blood. No um and so Ricky Steamboat is the challenger here. Uh we will go into a little bit of the why and the how of all this. Um John, thank you for for letting our guest here sort of talk about his his history. Um so the the 80s are uh, <laughs> happy to. I thought we should do the nice portion of the program first because say, does John normally interrupt and not let the guest do their thing? Does he like? You're our first guest, me? actually, Kel. You're the first oh, really? guest we've had oh, on. This. We're only on episode okay. two. Um, we had the pilot, and then we had uh, last episode that absolutely disgusted John beyond repair. Oh, that's actually um, one of my favorite things to listen to. Oh, you will get John. to today. We can tell uh, John, by the look on his you were, face. You were so much fun on this on this show. I like it's going to be really great. Um, so this match, uh, this match yeah. is considered, you know, again, 1987. They're doing 20 million viewers once a month on NBC uh, for Saturday night's main event as replacement for Saturday Night Live. They are merchandising at an unbelievable rate. Um, they are led uh, by the figurehead Hulk Hogan, um, who had crossed over into movies, endorsements, even a Saturday morning cartoon show. And this is sort of on the back of what's known as the Rock and Wrestling Connection, where they teamed so, up with MTV in 1985. So this is this is 85, Matthew. This is 87. 85 87. is where they, they sort of made the turn. And then 87, they've been building and building and building and building and building. Um, this was actually an event that could have bankrupted the company um, had it not gone as well as it did. Because not only this is actually also one of the very first pay-per-views ever in history. Oh, really? um, pro wrestling, okay. boxing were some of the very first pay-per-view events ever. Right. Um, and help pioneer it. And WrestleMania three was one of the very first live events on pay-per-view ever oh, in sure. history. Okay. Um, Vince McMahon, the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, has always been given uh, a bit of due because he saw the value in pay-per-view before many, many other companies did. He saw the value of videotape. He saw the values of streaming services uh, 15 years ago when he started looking into it. So this was this was. Uh, one of the very first pay-per-views ever in history that helped pioneer and make pay-per-view a thing you could make money off of um, for live events and sports and concerts and the like, and special events, if you will. Okay. So this match, um, if you're going to follow along, dear listeners, um, it's mm -hmm. we're going to start at one hour, 41 minutes, 37 seconds. The way you'll find it is by going to Peacock, uh, because all of the WWE Network um, has moved over their content to Peacock. So for $4.99 a month with ads or $9.99 without ads, um, you get all of WWE's content plus all of NBC and a lot of other really cool stuff. 
you're going to want to search in your search bar WrestleMania. Um, you are then going to want to click on that and go down to season three. And again, our timestamp is going to be one hour, 41 minutes and 37 seconds. All in, including the uh, video package and the interview. This is going to last roughly about 22 minutes. Um, the big attraction that drew everybody to the show was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, who was considered a dream match. Um, and these two combatants, Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man Randy Savage, will go on record um, and say that uh, Hogan and Andre drew the house, as it's called, but they wanted to put on a match to steal the show. And boy, did they, as far as the annals of professional wrestling fans are concerned. On commentary, uh, you have Gorilla Monsoon, who was a former uh, wrestler, actually a former Olympian uh, amateur wrestler, and then became a professional wrestler. Um, Jesse the Body Ventura, who had made the transition to the broadcast booth about two years earlier when Blood Clots ended his career. Um, he was getting ready to do Predator and a few other Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, make a bit of a run in Hollywood before eventually becoming governor of Minnesota in 1998. So a very eclectic group of folks uh, in all this. Can yes, Kel, you have your hand raised. I'm I'm fascinated. Yeah, because we we are communicating via Zoom. I am fascinated with the designation of an Olympic wrestler still being called an amateur wrestler because they're not paid. They are not wow. paid. They are technically amateur status. That um, is a really interesting designation. I get it, but oof. Just, just in 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 terms of like the the sport realism versus not realism, an Olympic wrestler to be called an amateur versus getting involved as a as a commentator in pro wrestling, it, it, it is sort of an interesting. Your brain has to do a couple well, of jumps. To your like, to your point, uh, one of the things that's so fascinating about pro wrestling in this time, Kel, is that. Um, in, I think it was 1983, early 84, maybe late 83, Vince McMahon went on record and said, wrestling is predetermined. It is not anywhere close to a sport. Right. He did that because they were being taxed like crazy by athletic commissions from every single state. It used to be, you had to have a license. You had to pay the athletic commission a fee. You had to have an athletic commission doctor at ringside, the same as you would for boxing or any combat sports right, and they were right. bleeding money. And so in order to sort of stick it to them, um, the WWF was the first to come out and answer that debate you were having as a kid is wrestling real or is wrestling a predetermined form of entertainment. And as soon as he did that and he changed his entire appeal to aim at kids with larger than life characters and lots of color and big production values right. and ropes that were red, white, and blue instead of the old gray right. that they used to have. Suddenly wrestling explodes when everyone knows it's actually just entertainment. It is. And it's aimed at little kids. I think entertainment is kind Say that to the 93,172 fans that were at this show, John. So I'm happy to say that to them. Not everybody's going to like what I like for entertainment. Absolutely. But I mean, they're going to, you know, if they're going to be allowed to say something about the kind of things that I find entertaining, I should be able to say the things 
say what I want about the kind of thing. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but let's, you know. And this is this is what this show is all about. So we're going to have some fun with it. We're going to do a watch along, as it were. Um, And uh, are you two ready? Are you queued up? Yeah, let's do it. Are we just all hitting play simultaneously? We are. I'm going to do a countdown. Three, two, one, play. When I say play, we do it. All right. All right. And in three, two, one, play. All right. So uh, where we're starting, folks, is we're just trying to recap, um, sort of talking about why we're here at this match. So this was actually one of the- Yes, please tell me why we're here. Please. Someone explain (laughs) it to me. What's fascinating, and as far as the storytelling of professional wrestling goes and how they would communicate it with fans, this is one of the first times on a big show they actually bothered to recap what happened on okay. television hang, the previous hang months. Hang on. Can I, just, can I just, with this, sure, just set up on. here for the doctor's office, this guy, this Goomba that they have set up as the doctor, so clearly, if he is not actually a wrestler that's not being worked tonight, he's like someone's bodyguard. Like, he is the last looking doctorish guy. Like, the oh, level gosh. that they have not gone to to make it look believable is genuinely impressive here's my, to me. Here's my fear, Kel, is that that's actually a legitimate doctor, that they didn't want to no. pay for an actor. If he is, to he, is he, got his, he got his degree from like. You know, uh, like li- little Louis's oh. uh, mechanic shop and doctor's uh, school. If that's See, the what, case. what used and, to happen, okay. though, is you would go to the matches and the matches were what you would call cold. Right. They would be similar to like a UFC fight today or a boxing fight. They were just match made in the back and there was no story to them other than pure competition. This is where you really started getting more into storytelling and, beforehand leading up to the match. And this is actually, this is the storytelling that's used in this, or this stuff, this is what caught my interest when I was a late bloomer sure. teen, because, because the whole comment, like, first of all, the guy that, the, 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 who's the commentator that's always in the tux, Matthew? Um, I the little mustache, uh, big guy. The with, little mustache and balding. He was oh, Mean Gene Okerlund. He was the Mean state Gene, man. Okay. Yeah. First of all, he, yeah, he's the straightest of guys. He like yep. very enthusiastic. great voice too. Great radio yeah, but, voice. Well, his voice is very enthusiastic, and he's completely fucking deadpan. Yes, like he he barely cracks an emotion. That Always was the charm. The rest. That yeah. was the charm of Mean Gene. He came from radio originally, um, uh, and worked that, his way in Minneapolis before. Uh, the other thing, school. okay, the fact that they come in on cherry pickers is hilarious yes. to me. So, John, I, I one of the reasons I chose a Macho Man Randy Savage match for you is that Macho Man spent tens of thousands of dollars on his outfits. And yet um, he, he couldn't be bothered to spend $20 on a hot oil treatment to get rid of all those split ends. Uh, no, he's actually is extremely also, sensitive about his hair. He was known I, to be His hair, if, if he had oh. cut it, it would it be been, great. It been, I'm, yeah. I'm just talking about hair care in general. Oh, and I'm talking, this, this cape, Okay, and we're going to talk so about Miss Macho Man is getting but, into the ring uh, with his Kate, valet and real life wife at the time, Miss Elizabeth. Even, even, even though I believe you, he spent a lot of money. Looking at it now, I'm like, oh, this is the early days because, like, it's not even that good looking. It's like some. It's like he got a fresco wall that, like, out of the subway and is wearing it as a cape. You want to like, hear something amazing? He originally was going to the same uh, costume designer who 
did like Jimi Hendrix and Joni Mitchell and like rock star outfits. That's actually where the inspiration and he actually has gone on record. He would never wear the same cape twice. He always, okay, for well, almost every standards. event, he would go out and do a change and get a different cape made. He spent so much money on clothes. It's ridiculous. Um, also, that jewelry that Elizabeth has on, I mean, you could see it from the bleachers there. at Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about Miss Elizabeth. I'm fascinated by because she's clearly... And I mean, just leaning into the misogyny of it, she's just yes. a prop in this. Yes. But in the recap, they have because Ricky Steamboat shows up with his friend George the Animal uh, Steel. Animals, George the Animal Steel, a okay. an absolute legend was George and, the Animal Steel. He and like, never clearly, said a word. He never yeah. ever made. He barely said a word on camera. It was all just animal noises. Well, the, the, he's he he's literally hairy. like an extension out of like. The out of a carnival freak show of like yes. the the wild man that bites the heads off chickens. You got it. But that's the, exactly but the, who he is. But the fact that he kidnapped in a previous match Miss Elizabeth, and they keep referring to it as a kidnapping. Yeah, when, absolutely. And, and like I under, like I'm fascinated because literally it is like he picked her up. She is willing to let him pick her up. He carries her out of the arena. There's no big deal to it, and yet. The commentators are so incensed and calling it. Here's what I flashed on, and so I'm actually directing. Here's the this. best part I'm, of it. So the idea was Randy Savage was an asshole to Elizabeth. He treated her like crap. Everyone saw it. Everyone knew it. And so he was the abusive partner. And the idea was that she actually really liked George, but he got very jealous and would beat George up. And so George was trying to get Elizabeth out of this abusive relationship and take her away from Randy Savage. But Jesse the Body Ventura, who's the bad guy commentator, would call it kidnapping. Um, Gorilla Monsoon would say, oh, she's finally going with a guy that's like actually gives a shit about her and da 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 get her out of harm's way and all this stuff. Because she was she was very demure. She was a she was a Southern belle. She didn't talk a whole lot. He refused to let her speak on camera. He would cut her off every interview, and it made fans hate him, absolutely hate him. So he's the heel in this, yeah? Yes. Savage Savage is the heel. He's the bad guy. Basically, he had injured Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's throat, and Steamboat had ceased wrestling for about four months, uh, kayfabe, as they say. Um, and then he's savage steamboat has come back from this near career threatening injury. They did a whole thing where he was learning how to talk again. It's just the craziest over the well, top camp. What that I'm, was what I'm just amazing. Fa- what I'm fascinated by. Okay. So first of all, wh- what I was going to say, and I'm directing it at John is sure. What I experienced in watching this match, especially with the commentators, because the commentators are literally telling you what you're seeing. Because there are some moves that like, and no disrespect to the entertainment form. I do not mean this in a disrespectful way. But there's some moves because of the camera angle, you see it does not connect. You, If you are paying attention, you see that his hand goes over top of his head. And yet the commentators make a clear point and say, oh, that's a hit right in the eyes. That's illegal, Johnny. He shouldn't be able well, to... And like, and it is what's funny is you're not allowed to so closed fists were illegal 
at this point in time in the rules. You had to hit with an open palm. So what they would do is you have your fist until the very last second, and then they open it up. And so for a karate man, which is what Ricky Steamboat was sort of billed as, as this Bruce Lee ripoff, right? Right. Um, So him, therefore, keeping his palms open and sort of gliding over the forehead um, technically looked like a palm strike. And so that's what they would try. No, 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 no. But I'm saying what I'm saying is it's interesting that the commentary is telling you how to feel, what to be outraged by, etc. More than anything else, I swear to God, I am convinced that Fox News has studied these oh, commentators from the world, you know, from world wrestling to yes. to emulate this the same sort of narrative, where like oh, you can absolutely see, and you can see the commentary influence. is prompting your outrage because like half the stuff they say, I'm like that is not what I just witnessed. Like what you're saying, Tucker Carlson. I Tucker Carlson does nothing but make pro wrestling promos on his show every night. Like that's all he does. He I just mean, spouts absolutely crazy, over the top shit. But no, the goal, the goal of the commentary, Terry, right, is to give you an idea of where are you from the emotional standpoint of the match, narrate some of the moves. But you have, again, you have Jesse Ventura, who's the bad guy who loves the macho man. And then right. you have Gorilla Monsoon, who is the good guy yeah. commentary, all, who loves Ricky Steamboat it's not to like play off and, of each other. It's not like fair and balanced commentary. It's very biased, either one way or the yes. other. Like, they're very clear about it's, that. The it's other a debate. thing I was fascinated because of what's happening right now on screen is how much of this match they spend outside of the actual ring. They like, do. Well, they and again, that's the promote that's outside the ring. That's the promote the grudge match aspect of it, right? right. That this is not no, just about it. competition. This is about trying to hurt people and bend the rules and go out to the floor, but also from a strategy standpoint, Randy Savage can only lose the title while if he's beaten in the ring. If he goes outside and loses there, the title will not change hands. Well, I can certainly like- understand about it wanting to hurt people because it hurts me watching this. I just love the fact that it somehow manages to completely be racist, sexist, and disparaging of people who are differently abled all at the same time. And yet I'm somehow supposed to cheer for these people when all they do... Uh, uh, fun fact, this is the second time in my life that I wish I'd go spontaneously blind for an hour so I wouldn't have to see this. Uh, wow, that's, and that's really something, considering you'd only need a half hour to get I, something. I'll need time John, to recover. You need time to recover, John. Oh. John this is, I'm also going to fight with you on this. And I, I agree with you sort of on one thing. I've just, I've realized while I was watching this why I find this incredibly boring. Okay. This is not camp. Camp has a sense of humor. This takes itself too seriously. And I, this is, I understand like when you're watching it, this is you reliving you as a 10 year old or however old you were when you saw this, like Mm -hmm. taking it very seriously. And I get it. And as a nostalgia thing, I get it. This is not camp. And this is why I am happy to spend a Saturday afternoon watching like a Dalton Castle match because that understands what it is. This is not camp in any way, shape or form. This is watching bad drag. That's what this is. This is watching a bad drag queen. 
I'm telling you, someday I will get you into an ECW match, and you talk about taking itself seriously. Um, I, do you want to kill me? Is that what it is? I mean, if one can die by watching pro wrestling, I think we owe it to ourselves to find out. But I, oh God! But this seriously, this is bad. This is bad drag. It, it certainly. Wait, do you? I, I where do you say, fall on that, uh, Kel? As far as from a from a stylistic point of view, do you agree that it takes itself too seriously <clears throat> to be considered camp? Um. It, well, it certainly to John's point, camp camp had camp by virtue of it being camp, um, at least deliberate camp. It, it does not take itself seriously. It has it has a sense of humor about what it is. Mm-hmm. Now there is unintentional camp where you know, like they're doing melodrama, they're playing it for real, and they're they're just not very good at it, and it turns into camp. And it turns into camp, sure. And you're and you're laughing at them. And this is, I mean, to me, this is like it, it is camp, John, but it's it's camp that's on like way too much testosterone it's it's testosterone <laughs> camp well what's um, fascinating because, is again this is this is aimed at children right this is technically yeah. considered children's it's, programming so i'm curious as to where it falls in in line with that sort of a thing right because that well, that's it, the that's a question i had it's painting in the broadest possible such broad i mean this is almost comedia you know, this is well, this is like the bad guy is clearly a bad guy. The good guy yep. is clearly a good guy. And when I say clearly, not just in the way they behave, but like the good guy is wearing white tights. The bad absolutely. guy is wearing multicolor, which, and that which is, in that and of is itself absolutely purposeful. Bad, yep. but but it's like you know, in in a western where the the good guy's got the white ten gallon hat because right. that's that's like a stereotype that's been promoted like from. The dawn of time, and they're even playing with it. Like you got George the Animal Steel, who I'm fascinated by because basically there's like a whole Quasimodo yes. like sub story yes. that's going on that has nothing to do with the main match. It's just color for that match. If yes. I have a criticism, to be perfectly honest, for me, Matthew, it's that um, to John's point. Although I don't find it boring necessarily for the same reasons he does. It, it this match goes on for about five to t- seven minutes longer than it needs to, and I know that they are like it's early days and they're playing with the the form of like there's a sudden reversal and then another reversal on top of the reversal and then a reversal of the oh, reversal sure. of the reversal and like I get that but the end of this match for me was very anticlimactic. So what's fascinating about that observation because I, I love that observation you make, Kel, is that in fact. This is one of the first matches, especially on a big stage, where you have that many reversals. Up until this point, this is probably considered a very fast-paced match compared to what you would get. Not fast um, enough. I was. I set you up for it. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's not in a weird way. What it reminds me of is um, uh, uh, oh, um, Tenet, the movie Tenet. Where oh, okay. they didn't even bother to give the the protagonist the, the character a name other than the protagonist, and basically to me it was an experiment in in two and a half hours. How much action can you put into a movie where you right. cross the threshold of the audience not caring? And Tenet was like, okay, there's a ton of action, but since I'm not emotionally invested in any of these people, it, it I'm bored. 
right? Sure, this, and and it's one of those things too, where as with all as with all forms of entertainment, there's so much to be understood about the context of when it was created, yes, right? Yes, and I, I and there is it is absolutely fascinating, and do and the audience that you're making it for versus the audience in which who are watching it. Because to John's point, for me, this is nostalgia. I was watching this at four years old. Um, when I was old enough to get the videotapes and, and start that, going all crazy that's for it. just horrifying. Sorry. But again, to a four-year-old, this was a comic book come to life. This was sure. Saturday cartoons with live people. This was an action, this was a Disney action movie, you know, that I could watch every week, right? So as a as a child that didn't have a streaming options and didn't have a ton of cartoons and didn't have a ton of like stuff made for kids even back then it's a very different environment that i'm watching it in versus my parents right or versus my grandparents you know it's very different and it's not made for them it's made for me at four years old and and what i'm seeing this moment even to that though matthew this moment that just happened where where ricky steamboat actually pins Yes. Randy Savage, but his leg is touching the the rope, and therefore yes. it's not a pen. And so now we go through another ten minutes of them squabbling over the inevitable the inevitable thing. And here's the thing: is that I see your point of like if you're making it for four year olds, four year olds are not sitting studying the story structure of it and going, "I of see where this not. is going." But of course, of course once you get, I, I would argue that now, even even today, you couldn't make it go on this long because. The audience sure is savvy enough to see where this is going, and there's you, just so many turns before it becomes repetitious. It's not. Oh my God, Kel! There were this. This was considered from when you were watching it, like in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and stuff. The NWA Mid South Crockett. They were doing hour long matches that had half this mat- much action in it. They were called oh, hour long. No, 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 no. I'm not denying it. It doesn't have a lot of. I'm not saying it doesn't have a lot of action in it, and for its time, it may be the case. I'm saying objectively, watching it right now, oh sure, sure there sure. are so many reversals that after a while, I'm like, can we just get? Do to they the stop? Big do they stop meaning and, anything? Yeah, and what yes, and what I, end, what ends up happening for me is that because they have drawn it out so long, the the eventual winner of the match it becomes anticlimactic because they have. They have dipped it's, at the well too much for me. No, there's there's something to be said from a pacing standpoint of that, right? I, I totally hear where you're coming from. Um, oh, there you go. There's those open palm, you know, strikes that Steamboat's yeah. doing. And he does. I mean, He's even connecting. That, even that, that, that pull, the, the moment, the, just, just. I know. This, just he's not even moving fast enough and yet he's hanging and I'm like, it's like he's been knocked to near unconsciousness. It's from like stumbling into the ropes, and I, you got to hand it to the guys; they are selling all of the damage. Absolutely, they are, they are selling it as hard as they possibly uh, can. I love that. that oh, by the way, I happen to really love that. Like, oh, they put the referee in. The referee, the referee is, is great. I love that moment. Out. I love that moment. And the other thing too that's always fascinating to me about pro wrestling, and you've been to a match, Kel, is. They have to accomplish two things at once. They have to be big and broad enough so that the very top level of the stadium they're in can follow the match physically because they can't hear the commentary in the the arena. They're just watching the physicality. 
So they have to tell the story broad enough and big enough in their movements to communicate that. But the problem is they're also on pay-per-view. So it's so much bigger and broader to an audience that's literally right up in it. And that's a hard, like I've always found that as a fascinating negotiation for your performance where you have to entertain and communicate every emotional beat from every move to the live crowd. But you also have to be aware that if you go too big and broad, it lessens the impact at home. So, right. and, and they're still figuring it out here, right? This, this is a weird transition time. Oh, there it is. George Steele has, say, has gotten a one-up on nice. his friend. Now watch the back, watch this little move. He holds yeah. his back so that his back is in pain. Steamboat rolls him up. And because his back is hurt, he doesn't have the strength to kick out. I actually love that's a little, that's such a little psychological detail there to explain why that reversal works when it should. Uh, Matthew, um, your love of this art form is truly, truly like. I, I, I appreciate your sincerity, it. Matthew, but <laughs> I, I, I will, I will tell you. That because we've known each other what ten years, eleven years now, almost eleven years, almost, almost 11, eleven years. Yeah, and I thought to myself, I can't be friends with him anymore. <laughs> this is the second. This is only the second time that I thought that in our ten-year acquaintance. But uh, what was ask what the first was? I, I'm not going to tell you in this forum. Oh. Um, oh. <laughs> but I, I'm just there. I love the fact that you think that you can find subtlety in this. There is nothing subtlety. There is nothing. There is nothing subtle about this. There is. There is absolutely nothing. This is not watching Meryl Streep do Chekhov. There is nothing subtle about this. There is nothing like, oh, that little move there. No, no, it doesn't. It's not like watching Kevin Klein do Chekhov. He holds his back. Just saying. Sell the, the impact of being thrown off the top rope, and he John, can't I'm, kick out because I'm genuinely hurt. curious about a thing you pointed out earlier. I totally track the misogyny. I totally yes. track the racism. Where is the Where is the differently abled George George Steele? Oh, I see. George Steele is supposed apparently supposed to be differently abled, yeah. I, I, which is when I was, problematic I was, in and of itself. But I, I understand that this is. I was literally thinking of physical disability. I understand. I thank you. I I missed. I missed. Yeah, no, no. He's he's talking about differently abled for sure. Yeah, and and that's and that's fair. I good. All of these criticisms are absolutely valid. I'm not pretending they aren't. Um, So don't don't expect me to be like put a blind eye to that um, in any way, shape, or form. So, but yes. Well, we did just finish the match. Uh, If you were watching along, you've seen. Um, a very historic contest in Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. That match actually inspired the careers of many, many, many uh, professional wrestlers afterwards. Um, it is considered as a major turning point in the way that you pace a pro wrestling match in the sheer amount of moves and holds you would do in a match. Um, it also made uh, Ricky Steamboat a very big star that he would then leave the Federation in a few months um, to go on paternity leave and squander that opportunity. And it put Macho Man 
on the trajectory to become the world champion a year later, actually, uh, was that very match. And, and I don't helped. take I don't take anything away from the athleticism. I don't take anything away from that. But if you're talking about something that's entertaining to watch, if you're telling me that you want me to be interested in the athleticism, then the Finn Balor Samoa Joe. Sure. Thank you. Match is was fun. But if you're talking about storytelling, then it's like this this was the equivalent of watching the room, the movie The Room with the guy who directed it. It's like, girl, wow. pull wow. yourself together. This was not wow. this was not watching Shit. Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is like, I know this is ridiculous. I know this is over the top, but we have a hundred dollar budget and this is what we're gonna do with it. Great. I will go there with you with that journey. Absolutely not a problem. But if your budget is $100 and you decide that what you're doing with it is the room, I, I, I not a car that I want to be in for more than like a three-minute <laughs> ride. Because the minute you start to cross the state line, I'm going to be like, let me out of the car. I will fucking walk home. Uh, I'm so sorry you had to endure 22 minutes versus three minutes. I, well, somehow it managed to be both rage-inducing and sleep-inducing at the same time. I, I, Congratulations. Again, I am fascinated at that. I, I, uh, I am fascinated by the storytelling aspect of it. I, I understand, John, that it offends your sensibilities. I, don't, I, I do not. No, 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 no. Don't, you know. I didn't say it offended my sensibilities. What offends my sensibilities is the idea of no... Know what you are, know what you are doing. And if you are doing comedy, understand that you're doing comedy. It's one of the few reasons that I can watch Melrose Place and not watch Beverly Hills 90210 because Melrose Place was like, this is comedy. We get it. Beverly Hills 90210 was like, oh no, we are doing serious teen drama. <laughs> and that's the difference. If you know that you're doing comedy, Show me some comedy. Show me some. Show me joy in what you're doing. Don't show me this. This. Don't don't do a McDonald's commercial the same way that you would do Hamlet. Just don't. It's not, it doesn't work. It it just doesn't work. I'm sorry. I kind of want to see a McDonald's commercial done like Hamlet now. Yeah, now I really do. Honest. You just I, gave me a hell of a That is a really that. interesting idea. But um, it's interesting. It's idea. like can well, you, can I you think it's a like, hamburger. I mean, I mean, to this, to this, John, it, it's rest like professional wrestling as it exists it, is is truly, in my opinion, a unique form of entertainment, unlike any other that that I can. There's I can't compare it to anything because. What it reminded me of at the end, when they were leaving in, in the cherry pickers, which for anybody that doesn't know, a cherry picker is literally uh, it's a device that's used in theater or in arenas that is a it's a mobile ladder basically where it mm -hmm. rolls and then you you get lifted up and it will go up like 20, 40 feet in the air so you can adjust lights or whatever. That's what they came trundling in on. Yeah, in, but in they this. had it, but they had it designed like a little mini ring, which is uh, just even adorable. so. No, Even but it's adorable. So, it, it's <laughs> just it's 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 interesting to see like the touches that they're trying to go to. But when they were leaving, what it made me think of was a gladiator match. 
like yeah. unironically, like yeah. a gladiator match, except that, of course, a true gladiator match, it, 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 at least as I understand them, not that I've ever been to anything like it, but is it was barbaric in the sense of people lived and or died. Like there was real harm right. dished out in the arena. Yeah. This is the modern equivalent, except it's been padded for safety so that literally no one gets their limbs hacked off. No one loses a life. But the stakes of it are supposed to be just the same as a gladiator match. It is a bizarre, uh, and, and I mean, I, again, I love that Matthew, who I think of as fairly erudite, that this is like the ultimate pleasure for him, this guilty pleasure, because it is, it is a weirdly unique form of like, it's it's a barbaric, prim, like it is the most sort of barbaric, stupid, like two Two people that are going to rage at each other and beat at each other until one of them submits. Like, that's a wrestling match. But yeah, then it's a combat this, sport. There's yeah. this idiotic, over the top characterizations, costumes, dramas that spill out of the ring into informing, like, the narrative of the television show, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I actually find it to be a unique sort of entertainment form that I cannot think of enough because it does involve athleticism, but it is not a truly an athletic event. It it's a is weird... a form of narrative entertainment, although it is the most primitive form of narrative yes, entertainment. Very and, much and so, so. I am I, like I don't loathe it the way you do, John. I don't I don't love it. Okay, the way let's does. okay, let's stop for a second. I don't loathe it. What I don't understand. <laughs> okay. All right. What I don't understand is this. What I don't understand is this idea of, because, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way. I really <laughs> don't. What I'm okay. about to say, I mean, in the, I mean, in a really kind and loving way, because there are thing there are forms of entertainment that, this, this is how I react to it. But you do not, Matthew, when you are watching it, act like a 35-year-old man. You act like a 10-year-old kid. Totally fine. Completely understandable. This is nostalgia for you. This draws you back to your place. But the idea that we are putting an analysis <laughs> from adult men who I think are fairly smart, all three of us, on it it's just to me it's like no this is clearly supposed to be made fun of i don't loathe it like i said i can watch a dalton castle or or effie match and have a perfectly enjoyable time i just think that the idea that somehow this is not meant to be laughed at is is wrong this is the guy who draws the penis into the background of the little mermaid and was like, an adult is going to find this fucking hilarious. That's what this is to me. Like, I don't, I, I don't disagree, but it, it is what what I note is to Matthew's point earlier. What was it? Ninety two thousand people tuned in for this thing. Yeah, ninety two thousand people wanted to feel like they were a ten year old kid. Totally yeah. fine, completely yeah. valid. That's, I have absolutely no problems whatsoever with whatsoever what with I, that. But that is what I am interested and engaged by. Is that like, you know, say what you will, and and I would love to be able to claim this, but you can't stream a a theatrical production and expect 92,000 people to pay-per-view it. Hamilton. That's not going to happen. 
Hamilton is a is the rarest of exceptions. And even Dance though it wasn't, the paid, it wasn't paid per view, it was no people didn't you had people the didn't stream service. Phantom of the Opera. Like um, like this would be this would be the equivalent because for pay per view at the time you had to sign on and pay like I don't know how much it was at the time, but I'm assuming the equivalent of like fifty bucks for the right to see this. this I, you know, I'm I'm fascinated. I would have to look that up. I would have to look up um pay-per-view so, prices, nineteen eighty seven. So my thing is is that I'm like I don't know that it's good or bad. Like I, I don't I'm not even interested in the merits of it. What I'm fascinated by is enough people are into it, not in a way of making fun of it, but into not it, at into all. like the narrative of it enough they that they would, die they would pay by the narrative for tickets to go see it or they would they would pay to stream it and in that i light, will I say know. matthew to your credit at least you gave me one handsome man to look at this time <laughs> uh i'm happy which one which one were you looking at this time who's handsome was it ricky uh yes he he's a handsome man although we can get in this you said this was what 87 Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay, so we can get into an entire discussion here about why those men look the way they do in 1987 is strictly because of the aping of queer culture. Everybody knows that, right? Well, uh, actually, I would love to have a conversation about that at some so point. So early, 80, when, when the AIDS-HIV crisis first happened mm-hmm. and people lost weight and people were wasting away and they had all kinds there was a desire in the queer community for men to look healthy because if you looked healthy, you were, you know, you weren't sick. And so that was like the David Barton gym, no packs, no sex, that whole kind of thing came about like 84, 85. And so people started working out and this is where steroids outside of professional athletes came from. And in order for you to look really good and show off, you would shave your body and you get tan and everybody would try to look you know, young and thin and, you know, so this is where all, and that spilled over into advertising in sure, the community, sure. which then spilled yeah. over into advertising in, you know, in the larger mainstream. So the reason that they are worked out and buffed up is because it is the trickle down effect of queer culture into mainstream culture. Hey, I, this is fascinating to me. Wish straight men knew that. I wish you knew how much control we actually have over your lives. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Don't at me. I won't get it because I don't really pay attention to social media, but don't at me. Don't at me. Don't at me. My don't God, at me. bro. Don't at me. We are, but we that's are living why. in a society so, where we tell people not to at us, folks. Yeah. Yes. So I would be willing to bet the difference in men who wrestled from 81, 82 to 86, 87, I would bet their physical Massive. bodies Massive. changed entirely. You, you are a thousand percent correct. So the the first wrestler that was really known for having a body, you know, quote unquote body, was a superstar, Billy Graham. Um, he was like 76, 77, 78. Superstar Billy Graham, um, he will tell the story that was because he he was a very good friend of Arnold Schwarzenegger but, when Arnold on. was. Hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Billy Graham. Are you talking about the televangelist, Matthew? No, but uh, the gentleman who portrayed the character, Superstar Billy Graham, actually grew up uh, to be a priest. 
and went to seminary and did tent revivals. And he was actually, he became a workout freak when he was 12 years old because he would get picked on a lot. Um, and then he started working out in Venice Beach with Arnold Schwarzenegger when Arnold was doing Mr. Olympia. And around the time they were making Pumping Iron, Billy Graham was still a friend of his. Um, and Billy Graham, so Billy Graham would do like, he would rip phone books for little kids to show that you could be part of the clergy, but still strong and buff and all that stuff. Um, and he was one of the first guys that had a quote unquote body in professional wrestling. I have a question Um, about this. Remind me. By all means. Um, and then Billy Graham, uh, the, the legend goes that, um, in, uh, I want to say like mid seventies, he's doing a show in Tampa, Florida, and there's a tall six foot eight guy with long hair. Who's a string bean wannabe baseball player and a bassist in a band. Um, and his name was Terry Balea and Terry Balea looked at superstar Billy Graham and looked at his dad and said, dad, I want to be like that guy. And that became Hulk Hogan. Um, Jesse, the body Ventura all ripped off superstar Billy Graham. And so you see, you start seeing uh, a couple guys here and there who get into the idea of bodybuilding and nutrition um, and, and permeate uh, what they would now call it sports entertainment instead of professional wrestling is the branding term. But, um, but then as you get into the 80s, to John's point, you start seeing a massive shift around 84, 85, where everybody's on steroids. Everybody's working out like crazy and protein shakes and nutrition became a big deal. Um, and yeah, and, and it's, you know, it, within the wrestling culture, they will have explanations of where it does or doesn't come from. But I think, John, you, you've lended a really fascinating cultural aspect of where it's all coming and from. And I, uh, so the, this, the preacher man, uh, Superstar Billy Graham. Yes. Yes. And like the guys around his era, I mm-hmm. I'm wondering, were they super ripped? Were they more like fitness bodybuilder or were they more like powerlifter? They were they were powerlifter. They okay, were, see that's where yeah. all of that that ripped the you know, I want to count your abs, all that Superstar kind of thing. Superstar Billy Graham was the first one to be ripped, ripped. He was the okay. first one to shave his whole body and be ripped, ripped, like you would see in in a comic book. He yeah, wanted so to that, play that all came, that all comes from queer culture. Uh, what, uh, where does that in terms of bodybuilding culture also come in? I'm very curious. Because bodybuilding was getting a bit bigger in like '77 with pumping iron and all of that. Because you well, right, but that's the second. That's the that second wave. The first wave would have been the late '50s, early '60s with all the Hercules mm-hmm. movies, Steve Reeves, Reggie right, Parks, yeah. Gordon Scott, yeah. and all of those guys. So those sure. guys in the '70s that were based on that, but yeah. it didn't become widely mainstream until mid 80s the 80s and and boy drug culture too in professional wrestling like most entertainment was insane at that point so much abuse of steroids then you had cocaine running rampant pills um today's wrestlers it's it's a bit different um but we'll have a conversation about that 
aspect of it a whole other time <laughs> um, when we do another episode that will challenge John's uh, ability to not just destroy his own uh, computer screen while watching hey, a can't wait. <laughs> well, uh, we do. We should like, wrap it up. But yeah, just. Oh my God! Try not to find something that takes itself so seriously. Girls, calm down. Nobody's <laughs> smile. It won't kill you, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, John! Someday I'll have you watch Japanese professional wrestling, and I will show you a Japanese professional wrestling match that absolutely understands the absurdity and camp. And then I will show you one that takes itself twenty times more seriously than anything you and I have seen so far. This just makes anyway. me want to write letters to all of them and say, like, I don't know, what's his name? Macho Man. I just want to say, hey, you'd be so much prettier if you smiled. Wow. Just to see what would happen. Wow. Well, Not much with Macho Man. Un unfortunately, poor Macho Man passed away several years oh. ago, had a heart attack while driving a car. Um, Ow, he was, I didn't know that. He was only, I think, in his 50s. Uh, I mean, years of abuse of his body, um, the years of drug addictions. He was heavily into ecstasy a couple of years beforehand. He was abusing steroids like crazy. Um, he did not live a good, clean lifestyle until his very last couple of years. Um, it's also bad to it, miss it was a real tragedy. You Unfortunately... Oh, Miss Elizabeth had a really tragic end. She died on a drug overdose in 2001, 2002. Oh, my God. Um, well, and their relationship behind the scenes was incredibly abusive and psychological torment like you would not believe. He was a genuine psychopath, was Randy Savage. Um, well, the stories I don't terrifying. I don't want to speak but, ill of the dead. Rest in peace. You're fine. I will. What a I, brick. I still, next time, maybe try to find something that's not so blatantly racist, sexist, homophobic, ableist. Like, just try to find something that doesn't, like, make me want to rage out. And I'm not, I don't even consider myself woke. So, like, if it's getting to me, something about it. Actually, I got an idea, John. I got an idea. Try to find something that won't make me go all Jocasta and gouge my own eyes out with my very expensive royal brooches. I think you and I, I think, John, I think you and I are going to watch a women's match circa 2015 or 2016 from NXT. I think it will be an interesting change of pace from what we've experienced so far. So, and we'll talk a little bit about women's wrestling, its evolution, its branded revolution in the industry um why it was way too late um but all the incredible things it has uh become now so we're going to wrap it up for today thank you dear listeners for uh going along with all of our tangents uh, on this one we hope you were a bit entertained we hope you enjoyed watching the match with us we hope you enjoyed listening to the many different viewpoints of how we view <laughs> what i will call the art form of professional wrestling um, in the meantime, I uh, want to give you guys a chance to plug whatever you've got going on. Tell as the guest, you are first. Uh, anything else coming up? I know you just wrapped up a, a cool uh, show, did you not? Uh, I just, yeah, we are, we wrap up, by the time this airs, uh, Importance of, be of Being Earnest will have closed. Um, I, at what I theater? At, uh, at Stage Door Theater here in, in lovely Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I'll have... 
a production of Circle Mirror Transformation that opens in April uh, at Stage Door. So I've got that coming up. And then otherwise, um, just the, the fine, fine shows you have here uh, at uh, Coolest Month is, is, is where a lot of my work is. What about you, John? Yeah, anything to plug, John? Anything you want to shout out? It doesn't even have to be yours. If you if there's a good comic or if there's a good, you know, something else going on too, like feel free, guys. Use this form to plug your friends. Um, I would say if you really want to understand uh, camp and exciting culture, I would say find a really good drag show in your area. Um, maybe watch uh, some Bianca Del Rio or some Bob the Drag Queen, so you really understand what camp actually is supposed to be. Um, and uh, yes, um, for anyone who's a comic fan or a book fan, please go out and support your local bookstore. And for me, you can find me on Twitter at MatthewKlein316, because I am the bottom line. You will find a lot more about pro wrestling, comics, and the like. Um, you can also Don't find me on a, Instagram. Do you have a comic out right now, Mr. Klein? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All but right, thank you, sir. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at MacTheKnife1116. Uh, my webcomic, No Rhyme or Reason, is up now on Tapas. Uh, by the time this airs, the third uh, weekly episode will have dropped. We have 10 amazing episodes that are running through April 5th. It is all free. They are bite-sized entertainment. It will take you less than two minutes per episode. Bad time to freeze. Bad time. Should you wrap it up? Because I don't know when he's going to come back. <laughs> oh, oh he's no. Back. He's back. Off, he's back. Night. Yeah, you were gone for oh, a while. Oh, gosh. Where, where, did I, where did I leave off? It'll take you less than two minutes per two minutes. Episode. Yeah, that's where you froze. It'll take you less than two minutes uh, to enjoy each new episode dropping weekly up until April 5th. Uh, so feel free to go to tapas.com uh, and enjoy No Rhyme or Reason. I have a huge announcement, hopefully coming by the end of this month, uh, that I'm very excited for. Uh, but in the meantime, you can be enjoying all the incredible content on The Cruelest Month, including our main uh, episodes written and directed by the incredible twosome that you have here uh, on this episode with me, as well as new episodes of John's Comics Corner, Heidi and Nora Don't Know Nerd Things, and a lot, lot more coming your way. Thank you so much for listening. Whatever you do, stay safe, and for goodness sake, don't be cruel. <laughs>